Welcome to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Green. Today, we'll have industry experts with their insights and perspectives on the latest cybersecurity news that impacts your agency and organization. Today, we'll have Katie Mosaurus, Chief Policy Officer at HackerOne. Good day, Katie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I think, you know, we have a very interesting conversation lined up around bug bounties, and I think you'd be a good person to talk to about this. Sure, absolutely. Happy to help. So, you know, what, what led me to you is I obviously your work in helping establish bounty programs at Microsoft. Uh, so one of the things I want to know is what were some of the challenges and the hurdles in putting such a program in place? And what are some potential lessons learned to help formalize something like this in the federal government? That's a great question. Um, Microsoft had a particular set of circumstances that made it very challenging to think about um, what a vulnerability reward program or bug bounty would look like. And I started thinking about this back in 2010, and ultimately it took three years um, to figure out the best alignment of you know, the, the core values of the organization, uh, the business needs, customer needs, and then figuring out a way to reward hackers um, for turning in important vulnerability information and offense research information. So that whole process taking, you know, taking from 2010 to the launch of the programs in 2013, um, you know, it took into account a lot of the complexities. So, for example, you know, Microsoft has, uh, you know, over 800 different supported products and versions. Um, it's got hardware, software, and online services. And, you know, at first the thought was, well, if we start paying for bugs, are we going to have to pay for them all? So there was a there was a concern about scale and scope. Um, the other bit was that, you know, Microsoft was already receiving over 200,000 non-spam email messages a year into Secure at Microsoft. So one, that was telling us a couple things. One, it was telling us there was a huge population of hackers who were really altruistic, and even though there was no cash at the time, they were interested in reporting bugs to get them fixed in Microsoft products. So there was sort of a question among the management saying, well, if we're getting it for free at such large volume, one, why why would we have to start paying them? And two, will this actually increase the volume? Will it, you know, will it cause even more than 200,000 non-spam messages a year to come in? And are we prepared for that? So there are a number of issues around scale, scope, um, and the the need for providing an incentive at all. So what ultimately happened uh, was that you know, looking at the trending in vulnerability reporting and trying to incent the researchers to come forward and report directly as opposed through, you know, as opposed uh, to uh, reporting through a third party, um, even if it was a defensive broker, for example, like the Zero Day Initiative, which buys vulnerabilities and then hands them over to the vendors for free to get them fixed. And the Zero Day Initiative makes their money because they create a defensive product. They create an IDS IPS. So their business model allows for this like defensive middleman type of thing. However, um, even getting them for free from a, from a middleman, it cut off Microsoft from a lot of the security researchers directly that they might have wanted to build a relationship with, possibly even recruit. Um, so ultimately, you know, the trend was going more and more towards researchers doing the right thing and getting the bugs fixed, but also getting paid. To answer your question about how would this translate into some of the challenges for a government bug bounty program, 
Well, of course, you're going to have issues of scale and scope. And, of course, you're also going to have issues where, um, you know, we, we've, seen, uh, we've seen a lot of, of demonstrations of weaknesses in various government, you know, government implementations of websites, uh, let alone more complex software and services. So one concern might be that they might not be ready to uh, create incentives if they already, you know, if they already have a lot of vulnerabilities that are sort of at the basic level that they need to fix. Um, so I think taking a look at where they would want to um, point the hacker community and how they might use incentives to, you know, gather some of the best minds on the planet to help them secure the government infrastructure is a positive thing, but they'd have to be very targeted and, you know, with some specific, you know, specific goals in mind um, rather than try and, and open it up for, you know, for, for all all hacking activity uh, with rewards associated. I don't think that would be a winning strategy for anyone, let alone uh, let alone the government. I was reading an article uh, from SC Magazine uh, from 2015 of this year where the ACLU urged the government to establish a bug bounty program to reward the researchers, the research community for doing the right thing. This would be a shift from using bug bounties for, for Office of Capabilities and to look to use these programs for defense purposes to protect the U.S. infrastructure against cyber attacks. One of the questions I want to ask you is, what are your thoughts regarding the, this interesting but yet somewhat conflicting dilemma where you have offense versus defense? Well, yeah, the, the U.S. government and many other governments who have advanced, um, you know, attack capabilities in, in both the physical world and, you know, the Internet world, um, they also have the responsibility of protecting national infrastructure and critical infrastructure and also, you know, um, uh, our national interests around commerce and trade, you know, in the technology sphere. So I think it is a complex problem when you're straddling both sides in offense and defense. Um, I think that overall, having a third party, whether it's the government or anyone else buying vulnerabilities on behalf of, of vendors and then trying to hand them off to get them fixed, it's it's only uh, it's only actually paying for for one part of that problem. It's paying for the vulnerability discovery part, but it's not actually providing the resources needed to fix and test the fixes. Um, so I think, and then let alone uh, help the customers of these affected vendors deploy those fixes. So I think it's, um, you know, I think it may be a well-intentioned idea, um, but if you're familiar with uh, with how foie gras is made, you know, uh, foie gras is, is a pretty cruelly made food. Um, basically, uh, a goose or a duck is force-fed until their liver explodes. And what I think about when I think about these third-party proposed bug bounties, whether it's the government buying them and then handing them to the affected vendors to fix, I think that a lot of that could end up being sort of vulnerability foie gras, if you know what I mean. Kate, I want to keep that defensive uh, approach um, going a little bit as it relates to bug bounties. Uh, we see more and more modern day software uh, use open source components and libraries. Um, one of the questions I would like to ask you is how can bug bounties help create a healthier ecosystem around open source software? Well, that's a really great question. You know, a lot of software, uh, a lot of open source software is part of the of the fabric of the internet. You know, a lot of organizations rely on it because it's it's really available. Um, a lot of products incorporate open source software and open source libraries into their own products. 
And I think there's, you know, there's generally this sense that open source software is automatically more secure because anyone can look at the source and spot a bug. But what, what really happens is somebody actually has to look. So what a bug bounty might be able to do is it might be able to direct some of the greatest minds, you know, in security research and hacking to look at particular pieces of software. Um, if we take the example of Heartbleed, Heartbleed, uh, you know, the bug that was introduced into OpenSSL had been in the code for a couple of years. It's just that nobody really looked, and it was until those researchers looked um, that was when the bug was discovered. And, of course, you know, the, the massive deployment of the fixed library had to happen. So I think, you know, bug bounties may help um, it, as a way to direct researchers' eyes towards uh, critical software that's used in open source. I think we're seeing more and more, you know, I like to say the window of, expo the window of exposure is constantly, seems like it's increasing because, you know, a lot of government use open source software and there's typically no, you know, there's the relationship between, you know, a vulnerability being re reported and whether or not there is a team or a community around an open source project to fix it. Oftentimes, if it's neglected, the window of exposure continue to increase. What are your thoughts regarding that particular issue? Well, you know, the window of exposure and the time to fix vulnerabilities is certainly a difficult, you know, it's a difficult problem. It's a resource problem. And, you know, when you're talking about open source, um, one of the ideas that, that has been floated around and has been implemented in certain cases is not just offering a bounty for the bug, but in the case of open source, offering uh, an extra bonus or even doubling the bounty if the uh, researcher provides a fix as well. Um, so that may help close some of the, the window of exposure, but even when you have the fix in hand, it's about deploying that, that patch and getting it into the affected systems that can often be really complex. And I think we're we're seeing that in the internet infrastructure that we have today, and we're certainly going to see that in the Internet of Things explosion that we're going we're just at the beginning of this wave of you know lots of embedded products, products that embed open source because maybe they didn't uh, you know they didn't write their own code they just incorporated uh, open source libraries and so getting the you know getting the thing fixed is part of that window of exposure but actually deploying the fix to affected um, affected products and affected um, you know products that incorporate that that software that's another part of the window of exposure and that's still an unsolved problem what percentage of vulnerabilities do you think are not being reported or disclosed and how can we improve this process of reporting and disclosure vulnerabilities so i think you know there's a number of issues skill shortage globally um, we've got trouble with uh, not having an obvious place to report to most vendors. Um, you know, my, my company, HackerOne, took a look and did some research uh, of the Fortune 2000 companies, and 94% of them had no obvious stated way to report a vulnerability. Wow. And that's some, that should really tell you something. If that's, that's the, you know, if that's the state of the, the top 2000. Um, and then finally, there's the, there's the concern from researchers that they might be threatened with legal action. Uh, if they report, so they'd rather not risk it. Katie, it's been very good talking to you today about bug bounties. Hopefully, uh, we can figure out a way to at least introduce this within the federal government so that we can really start improving our capabilities uh, from a defensive standpoint, because obviously we need to find critical vulnerabilities in helping create a healthier cyber infrastructure. I appreciate your time, Katie. 
Definitely. I, I appreciate you having me. And, um, you know, I think that I think that overall the you know, the government, critical infrastructure and really anybody can improve their security if they, you know, start thinking about vulnerability coordination with the outside. And then once they've got that process down, thinking about offering a cash incentive to really focus the eyes of the research community and potentially recruit, you know, their next uh, security staff. So thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. It's been great talking to you. Take care. Okay, you too. Well, I think we have to wrap it up here. I want to thank our guest today, Katie Vassouris of Hacker One. Also want to thank our audience for tuning in to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives on Fed School Radio with your host, Kevin Green. Till next time, peace.